Yeah, no longer neighbors, hosted by Chris and Aaron. Used to live next door, Dallas, Texas, representing. But then Aaron moved away. Yeah, that's the situation. So join the podcast, get in on the conversation. Yeah, yeah, authentic, real friends, I admit it. Still keeping the connection, it don't matter about the distance. You don't have to wait up, I'ma tell you straight up. Entertaining for sure, this is no longer neighbors. Yeah. Episode 8 of No Longer Neighbors. We told you last week that Aaron ruptured his Achilles playing pickleball. And he would need some help for a while. And that includes meals. So being the good friends that we are and the former neighbors that we are, Cassie and I uh, fixed up some dinner, really all Cassie just me basically saying yeah that sounds good go ahead that's great but I drove it over that was my contribution as I got in the car and actually delivered the meal so you tried it tonight uh pasta dish that that Cassie put together what's the verdict well first I want to tell you good job for taking credit for all your wife's hard work I know that driving it 10 minutes was really (laughs) tough I'm sure makes up for everything she did but uh it made it really hard on me if you still live next door i mean i could have just you know would have been a 10 second walk instead of a 10 minute drive yeah um i give it a 10 out of 10 so i know cassie will hear this but you can tell her once again thank you as i've said because uh we appreciate any free meals at this point when my wife is essentially having to do everything I predominantly was the cook of the house through COVID as she handled the children and just about everything else. And so me going down to this injury has made uh, food a little bit more difficult. I mean, luckily we have, you know, delivery apps at our fingertips and I got a free month, I think of DoorDash uh, pass or whatever they call it, Mm -hmm. Dash Pass. So we can at least get free deliveries, but we'll take food from from friends any day and uh, we appreciate it very much we will talk to chris halleck coming up in a little bit he covers the texas rangers and major league baseball for sports illustrated all things covid19 related when it comes to baseball and then we'll dive into other sports as well but uh, a really good conversation with uh, a really interesting guy who took an abnormal path to get where he is now writing for SI. But uh, first off, let's get to some current events. And the biggest worldwide event happened in Beirut and the explosion where I saw the video almost immediately and just completely taken aback. It looked like an atomic bomb went off. And as it turned out, the energy from that explosion was a pretty good percentage of what the bomb in Hiroshima looked like. Yeah, I still want to read more and watch more, but I've I've watched the explosion from, you know, seven or eight different videos over and over and over again. And I I need like slow motion. I need to get the, like the you know be able to pause it and then go really slow because um, just the sheer force of the blast is crazy. I keep on trying to see like tiles blowing off of roofs and cars kind of 
you know, flying and all these kind of just crazy things. And it happens so quickly, you can't even grasp it. But today I got to see more aerial photos of the devastation. And, um, you know, one of the things that really struck me is when these things happen, you can call it what you want to call it, luck or chance or blessing. But it's almost like there's certain people who are just spared for whatever reason. So if you look at the aerial photo of the blast site, if you notice there was a, a large building right next to the building that exploded. And so supposedly that building was like a grain facility and it stored many months worth of food supply for them. So that really stunk. But it took such a brunt of the explosion. If you look at the aerial photos, things that are directly behind that, kind of in the path of the blast, were mostly intact. Where everything else in kind of, there was water on one side, so you're not seeing a whole lot, but everything else in every direction was kind of blown over. And so I just, I, I imagine what is it like to be one of those, you know, businesses or houses that just was kind of spared in this scenario. Um, it's always interesting to me to think about the people whose lives were impacted and then the few that were very fortunate. 135 killed at last check, 5,000 plus injured, and at least 300,000 people displaced from their homes. That recovery is going to take years and years and years. And um, obviously, our prayers are with, with the people of Beirut. Um, much less consequential, but being that you are the technology guy, I have actually never really got into TikTok. I opened an account because my niece asked me to. She wanted me to see her videos. So that's why I have an account. I've done a couple of funny ones of my son. But now, President Trump talking about TikTok being banned in the U.S. because of its ties to the Chinese government and potential tracking and some other really scary stuff. And now it looks like it might be sold off to a U.S. entity. So for one, are you on it? And I know we're being tracked in so many other ways, but I guess being tracked by a company that has ties to the Chinese government is a little bit worse. Yeah, so I'm not on TikTok. I'm going to say that. However, it's kind of like the forbidden fruit with all this. It's going to be banned. I've kind of been intrigued about like, <laughs> should I be on TikTok? If it's important enough to get this presidential attention, that, then maybe I should be paying more attention to you it. You can but do some I cool very... dance moves with your scooter and your leg up. I'm sure <laughs> you create a new craze. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I want to put out there for everybody to see me on my scooter. Um, but TikTok is an interesting case because it brings in a lot of things in the tech industry and also in politics that are in play right now. So for those of you who don't know, TikTok is actually owned by a Chinese company. I believe the name is ByteDance. I could be incorrect there. I think but you're right. this Chinese company has a, has a TikTok equivalent in China that I believe goes by a different name. Um, and then it goes by TikTok in the U.S., so TikTok has said that, hey, all of our servers for TikTok are in the U.S. We're a U.S. company. But the 
the government of the United States is very uncomfortable with the fact that they're owned by a Chinese company. And there's been different disputes in the past that are similar with companies like Huawei that have an interest from the Chinese government. And there's, you know, just worries about American citizens having information that could theoretically go back to China or be stored on Chinese servers, even though that's what TikTok is saying is not happening. The latest news in this, at least as we record this episode, coming down on Thursday night as President Trump issued executive orders that would ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. in 45 days if they're not sold off by their Chinese-owned parent companies. Shifting gears completely to sports radio and the end of an era as Mike Golick is done with his national show at ESPN. I actually got to meet him back during my time with ESPN Radio in Dallas. They came in to do some shows, and uh, I was running the board in the mornings at that point. We actually did a very cool, and I don't know if they still do this, um, but a very cool localized version of the old Mike and Mike show where we would insert local programming in in between some of their segments and it was a really good mix made it feel like a dallas show really but the mike and mike show ended a few years back uh now it's been golick and wingo and now that's over after a very short run but you were somebody who listened to them almost on a on a daily basis yeah i would say you know probably not going back you know, to the beginning, I would have been very young then. And growing up in Connecticut, my sports radio was more um, WFAN in New York, the famous flagship there. So I grew up listening to some of the local legends that they have on New York sports radio, kind of like we have here in Dallas. But when I was really into fantasy football, I would say maybe between four and 10 years ago, I regularly during the football season woke up with Mike and Mike and because they had a national focus and they really hit all of the teams and, you know, it's kind of the dirty little secret I think of, of, um, of sports. That's not really a secret, which is that the NFL kind of takes predominance, especially on ESPN and programs like that during the football season, there's very little coverage of anything else, especially on you know, Mondays and Fridays um, as they well, it moves you know, the needle. come in and out. That's what people are listening to. Yeah, That's what people want. Exactly. And so um, I listened to Mike and Mike very, very regularly and got, you know, familiar with Glick. And I was, a, I was really sad when the Mike and Mike show broke up. I think it's been three years ago now. And I did listen to Golick and Wingo some. I have tried out, um, you know, Mike Greenberg's show. But it just never felt the same. And I know some people were critical of Mike and Mike. Some people thought it was, you know, maybe a little bit cheesy at times or it was too high level. They didn't really dig into topics. I mean, whenever you're doing a national radio show, they're also rebooting topics at the top of the hour and you're hearing a lot of the same stuff. But that's just kind of how it goes. Um, what I liked about Golick is that he wasn't the polished professional. Being a former football player, he really had that inside kind of just, hey, I'm a regular guy who happened to be a professional football player. And now I talk about sports. And I feel like ESPN is really missing some of that. So 
we'll see what the new lineup is like. And I know there's going to be some new shows, but I just don't feel like, um, you know, for me as a fan, it probably will strike the same note uh, as Mike and Mike did. And I think a lot of people have, you know, turned off ESPN since Mike and Mike ended about three years ago. Yeah, I haven't listened to talk shows on ESPN radio for a long time, probably not since I worked there, which was back 2001, 2002. Uh, I listened to Chuck Cooperstein calling Mavericks play-by-play for uh, our local ESPN affiliate. And uh, then my friend Sean Kelly is calling games for ESPN radio, both uh, football and basketball. And he's actually in the NBA bubble right now doing play-by-play for national games. And I reached out to him. I hope he can join us at some point during his time at the Disney complex, uh, as he calls the NBA playoffs. But uh, let's shift to movies. And we're all consuming them strictly at home now. No more going to the theaters, at least for a while. And coming up Labor Day weekend, something that people in your house are very excited about with two little girls, Mulan coming to Disney+. And there's been some controversy because if you're familiar with Disney+, Plus, it's a subscription-based service, kind of like Netflix. People are paying, I think, seven bucks a month for it. And, but Disney, I think, is still kind of in flux about what do we do with new content, right? So something comes out of the movie theater. Does it go directly to Disney Plus? Or is there a waiting period? Because they still want to sell movies to people who want to buy them. And this has been complicated by COVID because now people aren't going to the movie theater for the most part in most states. And so we've already seen a couple of movies come directly to home entertainment. And I think it was Trolls that released at, you know, $20 for a rental and did extraordinarily well. Really? And kind of an, in, <laughs> yeah, an interesting story. I'm pretty sure that's a, it's a NBC Universal or Universal Pictures um, animated movie. And it did so well that there was an executive talking about how well it did coming straight and how surprised they were that people paid 20 bucks and it really got that many downloads and rentals that the AMC theater executive, one of them, I don't know if it was their CIO or one of their executives came out and said it was a direct threat that his words were a direct threat to the movie industry, the movie theater industry, excuse me, and that they were going to reevaluate their relationship in an ongoing basis and not maybe carry any like universal movies, which is just a crazy thing. But anyway, back to Disney coming full circle here. People are going to have to pay $30 for Mulan to rent it even when you're already a Disney Plus subscriber. So it's coming to this service, but then it's $30. But really, it's kind of, when we dug into it, because there was a lot of feedback, it's a rental slash buy. So what Disney says is, because you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're paying $7 a month, if you pay to rent it, you essentially get to keep that rental alive in Disney Plus or unlock it for as long as you're a Disney Plus customer. 
So it's not a technically a purchase, you know, it's not yours to own. And if you go away, it goes away. But as long as you're a Disney plus subscriber. So I think this is really a big deal. Even if you don't care one lick about Mulan, like I do with, you know, a house with (laughs) Disney fans and two little girls, because we are seeing before our eyes, the evolution of the movie industry. And it it's, you know, what is going to happen to theaters? When these things continue to come out, people might not go to the movies for a year. We're talking about people not going to sports, right, for sure. another year or a year and a half. What happens if you don't go to a movie theater for two years? I mean, there's no way these things are going to be able to survive. But as we see these alternatives, I think that it's going to maybe change people's perception. Now, there's a flashback to an, a disgusting event. And... You're going to have to go through this one because I can barely keep my dinner in uh, just looking at your description. Yeah, I I don't know why this was in my news feed because I did not post this a year ago. And it's really something I wish I would have seen, though, as you said, it's disgusting. So as a foodie, I'm kind of fascinated by eating competitions. I always have been. These people who can just put down, you know, pounds and pounds of foods. If you're a Texan and you've ever been out to Amarillo, there's the big Texan there. It's famous that people eat the 72-ounce steak and there's all these records. I believe one of the records is somebody ate the the 72-ounce steak and the whole meal, which includes, I think, a salad and a baked potato and a sweet tea (laughs) in nine minutes. In nine minutes? That's insanity. But this specific story is maybe even crazier because we're talking about 86 ounces of food. I'm just going to say food for now. 86 ounces. So if you do the math, I think I'm correct. Not a good math guy here, but it's over five pounds of food in three minutes by a woman who, by the picture I saw, wouldn't be described by anything other than the word thin. She was a thin or, you know, average looking person. So three minutes, five pounds of food. But why Chris is getting so grossed out here, leaving anybody, everyone in suspense, is because that food was mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, folks. Who eats five pounds of mayonnaise ever? I haven't eaten five pounds of mayonnaise in my life, I don't think. But in three minutes. I mean, if there's a, an award for the grossest feat, I mean, this has got to be like in the running for disgusting. And I just had to share that. I don't know why I had to, I couldn't keep it to myself. I'm going to put the link to the video in the show notes. I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to pull it up, look at the start, make sure that it is what I think it is and then back away. But if you want to click the link, if that's your thing, Go for it. But I don't, I, I say hold the mayonnaise on everything. I don't want it on my food, period. And this person, ugh, just gross. Do you see? What I really, I really am going to lose my miss? dinner. I really am going to lose my dinner. We're, we're missing all these great eating competitions because of COVID. It's just unbelievable. Well, the Nathan's uh, 4th of July hot dog eating contest went on just distance and with partitions between the contestants. My son and I watched it, much to the disgust of my wife. But, you know, that's one competition that 
absolutely. I will tune in for every year. And uh, she hates that I've got my son interested in it now too. But mayonnaise, no, 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 no. All right, from competitive eating to uh, something that I hope a lot more people enjoy than watching somebody down 86 ounces of mayonnaise. Uh, Major League Baseball is a few weeks deep into the season now. We've had problems with a couple of teams and COVID outbreaks. And uh, we're going to get into all things MLB, including those issues with Chris Halleck. He covers the Rangers primarily for Sports Illustrated. I think the interview with Chris is great. He brings a fresh perspective as a new sports writer and somebody who's uh, encountering unusual challenges having this, the COVID-19 shortened season, be his first year in baseball. We also get to touch on a couple other topics with Chris, including sports in the bubble and what the NFL might look like. Chris, let's uh, start by talking about you before we get into baseball and sports in this COVID world. Uh, you started with part-time with Sports Illustrated last year and now full-time covering Major League Baseball this season. But as I told you, I was looking at your LinkedIn and thinking I would see a litany of newspapers and magazines and where, where you'd been before, but you were working as a shipping coordinator as an, as an assembly tech, among other things uh, in the past. So what were you doing on the side to work your way up to Sports Illustrated, one of the biggest names in sports journalism? So it, it's, a, it's an interesting story, and I can give you the short story, the long story, or the kind of the medium story. So There's no time uh, limit. Go for the long one. <laughs> okay, so... I did not take the traditional route toward full-time journalism. Uh, I went to high school, didn't know what I, like a lot of kids, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, theater was really, I did a lot of theater stuff my senior year of high school, so that sounded interesting. Uh, so when I got out, got, you know, when I graduated high school, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to school for two years at community college, uh, save a lot of money uh, because, you know, four-year universities can cost so much money. So I was like, I'll go for two years to community college, uh, save a lot of money, then transfer and then get my four year degree. And uh, I was a pretty immature kid. I have no problem admitting that now. Um, uh, first uh, semester of college, I decided that drinking and partying was way more fun than school. And so I just dropped out and decided to uh, do other things uh, that were more fun. I got really big into the metal music scene here in Dallas. Um, was in a band for uh, about a year and a half, uh, just did other things. And uh, I was on again, off again with my you know, current wife, you know, with, with my wife now, but her and I were on again, off again, and we started to get more on again. And she had gotten out of active duty Navy. And, you know, th at this point, it's like four years since I graduated high school. And I'm like, <sighs> uh, the band didn't work out. We broke up and I'm like, I, I might need to do something with my life here. So uh, I started to go to school. Uh, she was going to school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to, um, we, it took us four years to get our two year degrees because, you know, once you're, you know, there was getting engaged and getting married and her being deployed for a year and 
a lot of different things. You know, once you, you know, there's a reason why it's easier to go to college right out of high school than whenever you are already sure. work in the adult working world. Uh, much more, it's much more difficult to go back and go to school then. So anybody who's listening, who's young, please, <laughs> if you're thinking about college, go to college, please, because it's way more difficult when you're older. Um, I, I finished my- 13 years after I graduated from high school. So yeah, I know yeah. the struggle of going back later. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm not like a person that regrets anything. Um, I think everything happens for a reason and for uh, the way everything's worked out in my life, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I, I've learned different experiences on the way. Um, but, you know, I, I, ended up, I ended up getting my two-year degree in, in 2014, um, which, you know, two-year degrees don't usually get you too much nowadays. Uh, and while I was in school, I was trying a bunch of different things. Uh, religious studies were really interesting to me uh, at first. Um, and then I started thinking, okay, well, if I want to get a career, what do I want to do? Do I want to, and the two things that, come, that kept coming to my mind were sports journalism and uh, teaching. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'll take some broadcast, cl- you know, some broadcast journalism classes, some, some, you know, just different kinds of journalism classes and see if I like it. Uh, and I did, uh, I took uh, a few different journalism classes. I did two semesters of college radio and I just really liked it. Um, and so when I started, when I got, my two-year degree, I just started writing at a bunch of different places. I started off uh, writing for blog sites. Uh, I, you know, wrote for places like Fansided and things like that. So, um, and there's, you know, there's a connotation when it comes to being a Fansided writer, you know, it's like, oh, those aren't real journalists. And that's true. They're, they're, there's no media credentials. There's no anything. Uh, and I don't want to, like, I'm not, believe me, I'm not hating on those writers at all. No, because uh, be, to, to become a writer, you need to write. And that's what you had to yeah. do at that point. You at least have to get those reps like anything else to, to get good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely learned some things there, but I, I developed a good relationship with, uh, with uh, the guy who ended up getting hired to cover the Pittsburgh Steelers for Sports Illustrated um, uh, throughout that, that, you know, working relationship. And so when he got hired last year to do that, he immediately called me and he was like, Hey, uh, I need somebody part-time, you know, to work with me to, to be a columnist and to do just different analysts, you know, and just, you know, um, analysis and different things like that. So, um, you know, I ended up getting on with them and then, uh, was helping cover. And then yes, I'm living in Dallas and helping cover the Steelers. And I've told everybody like, that's kind of, you know, funny, but I'm not the actual, I'm not the one actually covering the team. So that's kind of how I got into that. So just a bunch of different, uh, and it wasn't just fan side. I wrote for uh, several different sites, but it was just a bunch of different ones and just getting that practice and developing relationships with people. And, you know, sometimes you develop the right relationship with people and you impress the right people along the way. Um, I was not handed uh, the job <laughs> covering the Rangers uh, like I told you, uh, when we messaged back and forth, I went through three interviews uh, before I ended up landing the job. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it was a it was a pretty tedious process and stressful process. Uh, but, you know, it was definitely a dream come true whenever, you know, I, I ended up getting the job. And, you know, it's a it's my first full time job in, in sports journalism. And it's been a blast so far. And uh, everybody with the Rangers have been, you know, great and um it's it's been awesome so far and uh but i definitely uh 
uh, consider myself blessed because I did not take the traditional route of going four years to school and then, you know, getting the, getting an internship and then getting a part-time job and then getting a full-time job and another full-time job. And then you finally get like a, a job on a beat or, you know, whatever. So uh, I definitely consider myself blessed for sure. No, I think it's a great story of perseverance and, you know, you finally figured out what it is you wanted to do and clearly you do it incredibly well. And now getting to cover Major League Baseball on a daily basis, which, like I said, for any baseball-loving guy that or mm-hmm. or girl or whoever, <laughs> it is it's the dream it's the dream job. And yeah. you know, who would have thought after all that you get to walk into Globe Life Field with Sports Illustrated on your credential, mm-hmm. but you're doing it without fans in the building? Only media can be there. <laughs> It's yeah. absolutely bizarre watching it on television, but you are one of the few who actually get to be in the building. So mm-hmm. just what has that experience been like so far going to major league games without anybody there? And you, all you hear is the, the fake fan noise run by Michael Gruber and yeah. the, uh, and the action on the field. It's definitely uh, just surreal is the is the best word I can use to describe it. it it's it, it really is a difficult uh, it's difficult to describe it because you know sometimes when you're you know, when you're watching and you don't see any reactions from the crowd you know when you're watching the on field action sometimes it's just your peripheral vision somebody will do something in the crowd that just catches your attention for just a second none of that stuff even happens anymore obviously it's all on the field action and so. When, when that's going on, sometimes I'm like, I'm reminded, wow, there's nobody here. Um, but then again, you know, there are different times, you know, if I'm starting to write, you know, my post game or, or, or anything during the game uh, and I'm zoned in on my computer and I'm hearing the fake crowd noise for, for a certain amount of time, whether it be five seconds, you know, two minutes, you know, however long, I won't even think about the fact that there are any fans aren't even fans there because there's a constant crowd murmur that's always playing. And when you're not thinking about it, not paying attention to it, it does sound like a, a crowd of people just, you know, constantly talking or conversing or, you know, whatever. Um, so it, 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 it's got its ebbs and flows for sure. Um, but it's definitely interesting. It's definitely not the same thing. Uh, I've been to, uh, you know, uh, uh, a number I, I can't even, I don't even want to try to count how many baseball games I've been to in my life before before this year but I've been to a lot of baseball games I've been to games where the stadium has been pretty much empty where there's only probably nine you know eight or nine thousand people there and I've been to the ballpark whenever it's jam-packed full of what, what the old ballpark was what 49,000 uh so I, I've been there when it's been empty and full and yeah even whenever, whenever it's been eight or 9,000 people, that's still way different than when it's empty. So it's definitely a different, uh, a different feel. Um, but you know, you know, fortunately I'm there to do a job. And so I, I, you know, the, the focus on the game and, uh, everything like that does kind of take away from focusing on the fact that, wow, there's nobody here to actually watch this game for their entertainment and their enjoyment. So I'm kind of the uh, baseball skeptic of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I didn't grow up uh, immersed in baseball, though I was in, you know, kind of Cubs territory. I've told this story and then moved to White, White Sox territory when I was a kid. Um, 
but I didn't come from a baseball or a sports family. And so, you know, one of the main criticisms of baseball, especially I think from folks that watch other sports has always been that the season is too long Mm -hmm. and that, you know, it just, a game doesn't count for much. And, you know, there's so many games that people can't watch because who has the time to watch all of these games. And so I'm interested in seeing how this 60 game season pans out, not so much because of COVID, because I think we'll talk about that. And there's some, you know, hesitancy about, you know, whether we're going to even finish this season, but just from a, Hey, we're having a shorter season, a much shorter season and every game counts that much more. I just wanted to get your opinion of, you know, I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble or any baseball purist to say they would like less baseball, but just the (laughs) fact that every game counts uh, when you're in a 60 game season, what impact do you think that has? Well, I think we're seeing it with the Rangers and there's other teams that it's happening too uh, as well. You get a lot of players who are just trying to do way too much. Uh, When you have a 162 game season and you strike out, you know, in, in, you know, or you have a, a night like Joey Gallo had the other night in, in Oakland where he goes over fourth, four strikeouts, 162 game season. Yeah. Those nights suck for a player. Um, but you move on. That's one out of 162 and it's a, it's a brand new, it's a clean slate the next night. Um, when it's one out of 60 uh, and it's a, and it's a much larger percentage uh, of your, of your season, uh, the, that over for four with four strikeouts really it, it hits differently, and so you might try to go to the ballpark the next day and, and try to do too much at the plate instead of allowing. Listen, baseball is really really hard. Uh, people can you know be skeptical of you know baseball you know not being as difficult as football. Listen, I, I love all sports. I'll talk with just about any sport with anybody. Uh, I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge hockey fan. Uh, I love uh, actual football or, or, you know, what Americans call soccer. Um, you know, I, I love watching that. I, I love, I just, I love basketball. I, I'll talk any sport. Baseball is really, really hard. Uh, you look at the, I think there was like a video on the internet somewhere of like how hard it is and how little time batters have to react to hitting just a, a fastball. Um, baseball is a really hard sport. So it, it's, it takes a, a lot of mental mental fortitude to play the, to play this game, and when you have 162 games, uh, you can go through your ups and downs, and it's not and it doesn't weigh on you mentally that much. When it's a 60 game season, and you feel like you're making like almost games like a almost every game's heightened like a playoff game, it's hard to do. It's hard enough to do that for a month, you know. Rangers fans will know that those back-to-back World Series runs in 2010 and 2011 are awesome. Um, but, you know, those runs are, are difficult to do for a month. You're talking about doing that for two months of a regular season. And then if you make the playoffs, another month. You know, you're talking about three months of playing intense baseball. That's difficult to do. So it's a very – it's a much, much different animal. And you'll, you're seeing a lot of players who are trying to do way too much, whether it be on the mound, at the plate. Uh, they're overthinking things uh, other than allowing the game to – to come to them and they're trying to outthink the game. And um, I, I think that's, that's where you're starting to see like, you know, Rangers fans who are frustrated with how the team is doing right now. Uh, that That's something you could be seeing right now. Uh, you're just players trying to do way too much. Let's get into more of the specifics on COVID and how that's been affecting major league baseball since 
it got ramped up. Um, the Marlins, more than half the team infected. They end up not playing for a week. Phillies were their opponents for the previous weekend series, so they get sidelined out of precaution. Cardinals have seven players test positive. Their series against Detroit's postponed. Everyone's back now, but what's your confidence level in this type of thing not happening again and Major League Baseball actually completing this season? You asked me that four or five days ago. It would have been pretty, pretty low. Uh, my optimism level was pretty low four or five days ago. Uh, now I'm a little more optimistic. I, I'm naturally a more optimistic person anyway. Uh, so at the beginning, when, when camp was first starting, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, I don't really think we're going to get to the start of the season. I was like, I think we'll get there. Uh, there's probably going to be some hiccups along the way, but I think we'll get there. Um, sometimes that optimism pans out like it did then. And sometimes it's just blind optimism. I'm dead wrong. Um, so I could be totally wrong here when I think if you're asking me right now, do we finish the season? I think as we're sitting right this second, I I'm going to say yes with a little bit of hesitance. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, Rod Manfred just instituted some harsher policies. We'll see if they actually end up getting enforced. Uh, if, you know, and, you know, that includes, you know, players being suspended, players being fined, um, you know, players getting put on the restricted list for the playoffs if they don't adhere to things, uh, you know, and that's, that's honestly what the commissioner should be doing uh, is making legitimate threats like, hey, if you're not going to, Number one, take care of yourself, but also, you know, you know, put your the health and safety of your teammates and the players on the other teams that you play, at, you know, in jeopardy. Uh, then you deserve to be, you know, fined or suspended or put on the restricted list. So, um, you know, maybe the harsher penalties will 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 pay off and they'll work. Um, you know, baseball is trying to do this outside of a bubble. Uh, we're seeing hockey and, and basketball do really well inside of a bubble. Uh, baseball is doing good as of right now. Uh, but if we've learned anything from this situation over the last few months, that this is a very fluid situation that can change uh, just like that. Um, you know, I remember waking up in the morning where all the Marlins stuff was coming out and it's like, boom. <laughs> I, I saw the comparison again. that it was March 11th all over again when the NBA yeah. got stopped. And <clears throat> it certainly felt like that. I thought, yeah, everything's going to shut down. This is done. Yeah, I, I started uh, I started texting different people, and I was like, so what are you thinking? And uh, I just got a lot of, uh, you know, the emoticon shrug. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot of the, uh, uh, like, I don't know, not looking good. Um, you know, obviously, you know, people who work for the team aren't going to say anything. You know, they're going to be uh, constantly – they're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, I think it's going to be taken care of, so – just, you know, different people that I talked to, the, the, the optimism level definitely came crashing down that day um, from everybody who I talked to. Um, but uh, listen, if everybody takes care of themselves and everybody's responsible uh, and their families are responsible, then can it be finished out? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think if you keep the, not, not the, um, per, you know, people are going to, the, the chances of us going from now until the end of the season with nobody else testing positive is slim to none. It's just, how are they going to contain uh, more positive tests? You know, you know, is it going to be another outbreak like the Marlins or is it going to be uh, a little more controlled like it was with the Cardinals? Obviously the Cardinals was still not a great situation, but it was better than Miami. So 
I, I don't know. Like I said, my optimism level is has kind of risen over the last few days, uh, but I'm still a little hesitant to say that, okay, yeah, I think a season is going to be played for sure. You mentioned the bubbles in the NBA and the NHL. Jeff Passan with ESPN had a report the other day that Major League Baseball is at least looking into it in a preliminary sense for the playoffs. And I, I believe the union killed off the idea of potentially doing the Arizona and Florida bubbles, although they really wouldn't have been. They've been tra- they'd be traveling all over the state for the full regular season. But for the playoffs, it almost seems like that could work. They wouldn't; these guys wouldn't be away from their families for more than a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could play doubleheader, tripleheader, whatever it may be, at a dome stadium. And you know, in the in the case of Arlington, if they decided to have one of the bubbles there, you could house at least a couple of teams in the Lowe's hotel right next door. And there are yep. a lot of other good situations like that. So just from what you're hearing, and Jeff's report may be all you're hearing so far, but is that really a possible option for, for baseball? Uh, to be honest, I have not heard a lot of that, so I, I don't want to – everything that I'm saying right here is, is pure conjecture um, on this just because my focus right now has primarily been what's going on in the field. And, uh, um, and the Rangers being in the postseason yeah. really isn't of concern to you on your beat yet. <laughs> No, no, you had a three and eight start. It's not a great way to to make a, a run for even an expanded postseason. But um, listen, I, I think if if baseball, I think that's a really honestly, if baseball really wants to to do everything they possibly can to try to get a, the World Series played this year, um, and it does depend on how the rest of the, now if the rest of the season goes, let's just say that slum to none chance that I just talked about actually happens. And there's not one positive COVID test from now until the end of the regular season. I don't think they play in a bubble. Um, now, again, I think that's a slim to none chance. Now, if there's some teams that, you know, struggle with, you know, some, you know, several cases and, you know, it, baseball kind of limps to the finish line, but they still want to get a World Series play, then, yeah, I think it's going to have to be played in a bubble. And I think that, you know, executives at Major League Baseball need to be watching very carefully what the NBA is doing in Orlando and what the NHL is doing in uh, Toronto. And I think Edmonton is the other one, uh, but you know, and they're in their bubbles. So they, they need to pay some serious attention to what those uh, leagues are doing because baseball has to prepare like, Hey, you know, the whole, the whole thing for baseball right now for them is get the, get the playoffs played and get the world series played because number one, and this is always number and we learned this, you know, from watching the money negotiations that that takes care of the, the bottom line for them, which is the most important thing to me that I observe, you know, to, to baseball is money. It's not the most important thing to me personally, but I think both the league and the players prove that money is very important to the, to both sides. So get the playoffs played. If that means you have to do it in a bubble, then you do it in a bubble. Um, when it's a playoffs and it's a short amount of time, uh, yeah, I think you can do it. Regular season, it would have been much more much more difficult. Um, the NBA and the NHL could get away with it because they only had a little bit of time left in their schedules, and they ended up coming up with an idea um, for you know a way to complete their regular season. Um, I like what they've done, uh, but they are also in a much different situation than the than Major League Baseball is because baseball hadn't even started their season yet, while the NHL and the NBA were near the end of their season. 
Uh, everything was shut down mid-March. Uh, the NHL season's over by the first week of April. Uh, NBA is just a couple weeks after that. So, um, yeah, they were almost done. So, uh, baseball is in a much different situation. But can they play in the bubble uh, for the playoffs? I think they absolutely can. And uh, if, like I said, if they limp to the finish line with the regular season, they absolutely should consider that. Absolutely should consider that. So when you, you talk about sports, Chris, that haven't started yet, um, that leaves us with the NFL, really, when you talk about major sports. So I don't know how closely you followed it. You said you're a football fan. You covered football previously. I know there's been some pushback from the players. I've seen some things on Twitter about how prepared the NFL really is for this. We've seen the Cowboys go back. I know that they were back at the star uh, fairly recently. What do you think about the NFL season prospects and how uh, you know football is going to turn out this year? Well, I think football is the hardest sport to try to play during a pandemic. Um, not, not just be, I mean, okay. So you've got 32 teams that you can't, I mean, you can try to put in a bubble, but you're talking about 32 teams with, was it 53 players on each roster? That's a really big bubble. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot of freaking people. Um, just, and that's just players. That's not counting coaches. That's not counting. uh, That's, that's, that's a lot of people. Like you said, that's a really big bubble. So I don't think the NFL can be played in a bubble. You're talking about 53 guys on each team that are supposed to be responsible, that are not supposed to go out um, and and go out to eat or go out to bars or congregate or shop or do whatever, that they're supposed to be safe and essentially quarantine when they're not at the football field. Uh, That's a, that's a difficult ask. Uh, Not saying that those players should you know should you know should or shouldn't do it they should but I mean we we saw it in baseball it, it took what into the first weekend of the season to have an outbreak um who says that and, and there's going to be way more players in the NFL than Major League Baseball so I don't know um I think uh Roger Goodell's hoping that a vaccine will come out before the season starts <laughs> uh that's obviously yeah, just a, a it's obviously a joke that's not going to happen but um, I don't know. It's going to be really difficult. I, I hope that they can play a season. Um, they've been, I guess, I guess good so far. Um, that's just, it's, it's going to be really difficult. That's, you've got a lot more players, a lot more coaches. Um, I hope they can. I, I love watching the NFL season. Uh, I've covered about it. I've covered it. I've written it, uh, written about it. Um, uh, it, it's a, it's an awesome sport. Um, you know, I think it's the, the day that we're recording this, it should have been the Hall of Fame game between the Cowboys and Steelers. And, you know, we didn't get that today. So that obviously, um, you know, sucks for a lot of football fans. But uh, there, I think the season will get underway. Uh, I am way less optimistic that NFL season gets played in full uh, unless by some miracle a vaccine does come out before then. But I don't with know. Pessimism, I, opti- I'm yeah. sorry, Chris. With, with pessimism about the NFL – I mean, at least for me, I have optimism that is nearly just non-existent that a college football season is going to get played. You can't uh, do a bubble. Yeah. They're going to be around other college kids. Yeah. I mean, all these conferences are adjusting their schedules, but I just – it doesn't seem like it's ultimately going to matter. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – like, you know, like I said, just the sport of football in general. 
um, whether it be NFL or college, uh, like it's not just the amount of players, but the contact uh, the, and the, the, the pretty much not, you know, the ability to not be able to play in a bubble, whether it's NFL or college. And that sucks too, because I, I, college football is another thing I love watching. Um, I love to be able to, to, to see these guys, you know, get it done. But yeah, you're talking, I mean, I, I've been, I, I talk about, I was a, I was immature uh, whenever I was college age, you know, normal age to go to college. Um, I know that there's a lot of kids who were, or who are as immature or maybe even more immature than I was at that age. Um, you know, who are listening to people saying, Oh, don't go out, don't go to the beach. Don't, you know, go to bars. And they're just thinking, you know, F that I'm going to do whatever I want because that's the mentality of a lot of 18 and 19 year olds. Um, so uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, my pessimism is probably even, even, even greater for the college season than the NFL season. Cause at least the NFL season, you have at least a, a few adults there. Um, as compared to college, but uh, yeah, that's going to be, I, I hope they can get it done. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm generally an optimistic person, but it's not looking good for sure. Well, so we've started to have some sports, right? I mean, we, we now have, uh, you know, three out of the four major sports going with hockey kicking off in some capacity. We've had golf for a while. We've had some NASCAR, if you consider that to be a sport. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do. I do. I'm just saying for everyone, I do. But I know not everyone does. So the question, though, is when are we going to be able to see sports again? So NASCAR did bring in some fans. I think they were the first ones to bring in any span fans to a live sporting event. But it's a little bit different. If you've ever been to a NASCAR race, these places are enormous and they're all outside. So, you know, you think about Texas Motor Speedway, I think at max capacity, it can fit close to 200,000 people, you pack 50,000 people in there, you could theoretically do social distancing, right? That's not the same in a closed stadium for one, and you would be able to sell way less tickets. But do you think we're at any point for the whole, whatever you want to call it, 2020, 2021 season, uh, at least this kind of fall, uh, winter, spring coming up, going to see any crowds in stadiums at all? Um this is just my personal opinion. Uh, I know that the Rangers, uh, if, if, if MLB gives them the okay when it comes to the Rangers, they're going to try to host fans. Um, they've made plans to host fans uh, as, because the state currently allows them to. It wasn't until Major League Baseball came in and said, no, um, let's wait and see how the season gets started first. And uh, ML, of all the things that MLB has done wrong this year, that was one thing they did absolutely right because, you know, like I said, look what happened the very first weekend of the season with Miami's outbreak. Uh, imagine if something like that would have happened in Arlington and 20,000 fans would have attended all three of those games. Um, I don't even want to try to think about that. It makes me upset. Um, <laughs> I just – anytime anytime soon, I, I don't see fans attending uh, any – whether I mean, obviously, you're not going to see fans in the NBA or NHL uh, for the rest of this season, uh, or you know these playoffs, just because, like you know, as we know, they're in a bubble. Uh, when it comes to next year, their next season, um, obviously, state guidelines are, are going to make a make a you know, play a huge role in that. Um, when Dallas Stars or Dallas Mavericks, you know, kick off their 20 
you know, 20, 21 seasons. Uh, I don't think fans are going to be in attendance. I think the leagues are going to step in same, you know, same way the MLB did and be like, no, um, just let, let's just try to keep as safe as we possibly can. Even if that means we have to forgo, um, you know, gate receipts and other stadium revenue. Uh, honestly, I just, I, this is, this right here is just my personal opinion. I don't think that we're going to see fans until there's a vaccine. Um, and I could be wrong. Uh, there could be some stadiums. It could be the NFL. It could be, you know, some of the bigger outdoor stadiums. Um, I, I think actually the first sports that you're going to see host fans again are going to be the ones over in Europe, uh, the Bundesliga in Germany and, uh, you know, uh, Premier League in, in, in England and, uh, you know, La Liga, all the, all the football leagues over there. Um, I think you'll see fans there before you see fans here. Um, but they've, you know, the European countries have handled COVID completely different than the U.S. has. Um, not just in terms of government, government, but the way the citizens have handled it as well. Um, so it's not, that, that's not my own jab at the government or citizens or anything like that. It's just, it's true. Um, England and Germany handled it way different than the U.S. did uh, as a whole. So uh, that's why whenever I see fans uh, or you know, people on Twitter saying, oh, well, you know, they're playing sports over there. Um, what, you know, why can't we do things the same over here? It's like, because it's not the same situation. Um, so I think you'll see fans there before you see fans here. Um, I believe we have I, I seen just, fans uh, in the Korean baseball organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, and Korea handled it completely differently too. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to keep up with what countries did what, when it comes to COVID <laughs> a lot of uh, jamming of information over the last uh, several months when it comes to COVID-19 and, um, but yeah, it's, you're going to see, I don't know. I just, I think the, the shrewd move to do for a lot of these leagues here is to wait until there's a vaccine. And I mean, it could be at the end, you know, it could be by the end of this year that we, that we have one. Um, then you have people are, who are, are going to refuse to get vaccinated and, you know, I don't know. That's a whole, that's a whole nother topic. I don't even want to go down that road. <laughs> no, that makes my uh, head hurt. Just thinking about yeah. that, considering the, the way that I get angry with people when I see them not wearing a mask and mm -hmm. we won't be able to tell that the people haven't got a vaccine. So, yeah, I think the only two, two places that you're going to see for sure guarantee or, or like make it mandatory to get a vaccine is the military, which is, that's almost, you know, a guarantee my wife is in the military so that that'll that'll be mandatory uh and then i would think school districts would have to do the same thing you know they're funded first off they're funded by the government uh and second i know that as a parent you know i have a four-year-old who's going to be who is supposed to start pre-k this year uh we're not sending him to the building to start the, the year just because we're not comfortable with that uh but i would like to know that once there's a vaccine that i would like to have the peace of mind to know that all the other kids there have been vaccinated so that my children can't can't catch this there um you know personally my son he's not technically been diagnosed with asthma but every time he gets sick even the slightest little bitty cold he gets a terrible cough and covid is a respiratory illness um i don't want anything possibly attacking uh i don't consider myself my son like high risk or anything like that um but i just know that every time he gets sick it's a terrible cough and i don't want my son who maybe is asthmatic to to possibly get this so um i would like to know that you know other parents have the peace of mind or, or that i would like to have the peace of mind to know that other parents have gotten their children vaccinated as well so that i know my son has a much lesser chance of getting it but you know 
that's where, you know, we, get, we go down a slippery slope and start talking about things that, like you said, make our head hurt. <laughs> well, yeah, we wanted to talk about in the context of sports, but obviously it affects everybody in real ways uh, when it comes yeah. to families. And, you know, that's the case for all these ball players and all the people who cover these ball players, including yourself. So, you know, Chris, we really do appreciate the time. And uh, again, congratulations on, uh, on landing the beat to cover the Rangers for Sports Illustrated. It's, uh, it's a great story, just your personal uh, journey there. And, you know, I, I think years and years from now, wherever you may be, to say that your first full-time season covering Major League <laughs> Baseball was this strange season, it'll yeah. leave you with another great story to tell. I've, I've definitely had a, um, I've had a, I have a conversation with another reporter uh, here and I was just like, of all the years to start, you know, covering a team on full time on a beat. And uh, they replied back and they were like, well, if you can make it through this year, you're golden. Um, just because we, I mean, it's still happening. Uh, we have these, you know, press conferences or not even press conferences or zoom calls now um, where we still have to ask questions about COVID and not ask about sports and, um, and, and not ask about the team. So it's, it's definitely a whole different animal. Um, it's difficult to write about because, you know, you write about something and, you know, because of the way COVID has been politicized here, um, you know, you get, you get people who don't want to, don't want to read about the Rangers and COVID-19. I'm like, well, man, this is part of the, that's part of what's going on. You know, when Brett Martin and Joey Gallo tested positive, I've got to write about it. Uh, and, you know, so it's just, uh, it's definitely been an interesting year. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm blessed uh, for sure um, to, to be covering the Rangers for Sports Illustrated, to, um, to be covering in, in this unique of a year. Um, it, it's definitely great, and uh, I consider it a, a privilege, and uh, I just want to, uh, pump out the best content uh, for readers um, who who love the Rangers because I, I I get the perspective of a fan and uh, I want to bring it to them the best I can. We'll have a link in the show notes to where you can find Chris's content both on Sports Illustrated and also his podcast North Texas Nine. But in the what we're into this week, we wanted to change it up and talk about, well, a couple things uh, that are dear to my heart at this very moment. And mainly they revolve around sitting around. So with my injury, I've been doing an inordinate amount of sitting. I'm not exactly the most active guy anyway, which is probably why I injured my Achilles playing pickleball. Uh, the first time I had done any athletic activity think since the pandemic began and well before that. But I have a new hobby because my hobby of smoking meats is a little bit harder when you're on crutches. And I needed something to replace that time. I'm like, what can I do sitting here? What do men with too much time on their hands do? Well, they watch sports and they play video games. And so I decided that after a while of not having a video game system in my house, that I was going to dive back into the world of video games. And I found something very interesting out as someone who hasn't been following that closely is that during the pandemic, 
video games, when I talk about video games, I mean consoles, are sold out pretty much anywhere. So if you, it doesn't matter what you want. If you want to walk in the Best Buy and buy an Xbox, a PlayStation 4, a Nintendo Switch, you are absolutely out of luck. It doesn't Best surprise Buy, me. Walmart, Target, Amazon, nothing. And so, I mean, there's plenty of games out there because there's so many games. And nowadays you can even digitally download games if you can't find them. But you need a console to be able to play these things. So my first challenge of sitting here with nothing to do was how do I find one of these? And I had to go on basically a scavenger hunt. And there are these sites now that have popped up over the last few years where you can put in your email address and all they do all day long is scan different websites for inventory of the things you want. And so as soon as they're in stock at Best Buy or Amazon or whatever, it sends you an email. But there's one problem. Technology always has a way of outdoing itself. So there are these things called bots. Are you familiar with bots, Chris? Sure. Yeah, have, they'll so, automatically when they find, I assume when they're, they automatically, when that inventory will come up, they will purchase these items and then raise the price yeah. selling them separately. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole point is to essentially bleed everyone out of inventory and then you can corner the market on eBay, Amazon, on um, Craigslist, on any of these places where you can sell something. And you know, they're, they weren't going for a crazy amount, but we'll say another $100. And people are making some cash. So eventually I did find a Nintendo Switch. And the reason why I decided to go with the Switch is twofold. Number one, I grew up in the Nintendo era. So me being in my late 30s, I think I got a Nintendo for my fifth birthday. What was your first game system, Chris, when you were a kid? Well, it kind of comes with a sad story. Uh, <laughs> my parents got divorced in sixth grade. We weren't allowed to have a video game system up to that point. But when that happened, okay. in that same meeting where they told us that they were getting a divorce, my mom said, okay, well, I'm going to be living here and we're going to get a Sega Genesis. So really, at that point, it's like, oh, they're getting a divorce. I guess that's not, so, that's not great. But we're getting a Genesis. Yes. Yeah, wow. That I don't even I don't even really want to comment on that, but that was very <laughs> strategic, I guess. Um, it was, and wow. it, you know, they really they they lifted our spirits, and we came walked out of that thinking, man, we got a pretty good deal. We get we get a video game system now. Yeah, I didn't have any brothers or sisters growing up. I was an only child, so I vividly remember Nintendo being really new. And I think I got it, you know, maybe within a year of it coming out. And I would sit there with my parents because I didn't have any siblings and play the original Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and um, there was a couple other games. But I, I remember my mother, like, taking the gun for Duck Hunt and getting way too close to the television. So that's always a good memory. But um, I, I grew up on Nintendo and I've, I've owned PlayStations. I've never owned an Xbox. I've owned PlayStations. And to me, it just never had quite the same feeling, you know, being attached to Mario, being attached to 
um, Donkey Kong and those things. But I'll tell you a cool thing. So you said you had a Genesis first. So Mm -hmm. what was the Genesis kind of character or exclusive that was a big deal? Sonic. Yeah, Sonic, right? And so when Sega went under years later, or at least they stopped making consoles, they started to license out their games. And so now you can play Sonic almost anywhere. You can play Sonic on your phone even, which is awesome. But the other cool thing that's happened in the later years is some of those original PlayStation games have started to come to other systems. So I did have a PlayStation back in the day, and uh, there was a game called Crash Bandicoot, which was like their answer, I guess, if you will, to Mario-ish or Donkey Kong-ish. It was kind of in the middle. And now um, they've licensed that out. The company that, I don't know if it's Activision or whoever makes it, but you can play it on Nintendo. So I have a Nintendo Switch. I just got it. Maybe we'll report back in a week or so. <laughs> but I'm not sure how up you are on the the modern consoles right now. Do you have any video games in your house, Chris? No, we have a very old Xbox that has become strictly a DVD player now. Um, I actually got a lot of use out of it Um probably six or seven years ago. Um, the, well, the last, let's see, I think the last college football game that came out on the console was NCAA 2014. And I wore that game out, loved it. And yeah, big shock that I didn't, I don't really play anything else other than sports games when I do have a console. Um, I'll simulate seasons and, you know, go through dynasties and, and just play those things forever. And I also loved the connect feature on the Xbox. When I needed to lose weight, when I was 35 pounds heavier than I am right now, I used that, the Nike workout on, uh, on Xbox connect and did had that in what is now my son's room. That was my workout room. And I would wear that thing out too. And what was great, it's like a vi- it's like any other video game. You have points and you have uh, things you want to beat, and it gave me that competition in in uh, working out. Yeah, we did that back in the day with the Wii, the original Wii. We had one of those like Wii Fit boards, I think they called it, where mm-hmm. it would weigh you and do all this magical stuff. But that novelty kind of wore off. So we haven't. I've tried a couple game systems. I've either ended up returning them or selling them. But what really sold me on the Switch is its functionality and and the reason why it's named the Switch. So it's a very unique console. Nintendo has had trouble keeping up with graphics and other things with the other consoles, but they've always done really well with handheld. So I also had a Game Boy growing up. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I love that Game Boy and I play Tetris on it or whatever. And they've done really well with portable games. And so the idea of the Switch and what sets it apart from the other systems is they finally said, what if we created a video game system that could be both a handheld game system like a Game Boy or later a DS, but it could also be something that you play from your television. So if you've never seen a Switch, it looks like a small tablet that has controllers on either side. And here's the really cool thing. It travels well. So you can take these controllers off the side of the switch 
and they both have buttons and joysticks and you can give one to one person and one to another person. And all of a sudden, this little tablet, you prop it up on a table and two people can be playing it. So it's like, it's like a video game system to go, but then you plug it into a dock and voila, magically it's on your HD television. And just like a Wii, there's many games that use motion and all that kind of stuff. So really they sell it as three consoles in one. It's kind of like two, two and a half, but it allows you to play on the go. And it also allows you to play in your house. So that's what sold me on the Switch in addition to the game library. Guys How did you really eventually like find it? Game. When you talked about everything being out of stock, where did you eventually find it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I told you there are those online companies that will tell you when it's in stock, but that's actually not what happened to me. I just refreshed Best Buy a lot. So I just kept on going to the Best Buy website, knowing that they'll probably get some inventory. I also was going to the Walmart website, the Target website, and GameStop. So about five different websites that multiple times a day, when I just had two minutes, I would go to all their websites. And sure enough, popped up after a couple days, bestbuy.com, they had it. I got it. I actually told my brother-in-law about it. He got one as well. And so now we can play each other in Mario Kart online, which is the best part about it. So there's some competition. But yeah, if you're really into the sports games, Chris, like you, the Nintendo, it's not the best. It's not the best. They actually don't have at this point, which is kind of crazy, they don't have an NFL football game. They don't have a licensed football game like Madden. And I did hear, though, we talked about this on your baseball podcast about the show, right, being the only baseball game. Yeah. Well, that's not on um, the Switch right now. However, apparently there's been some rumors that they're going away from exclusivity. Right. No, that's, that's, uh, that's confirmed that after this season, they'll be able to make the game for all the different consoles. So... Um, yeah, yeah so I don't anticipate getting an updated console anytime soon. I imagine probably it'll happen when uh, Austin gets a little bit older and he has an interest and that that'll mean that I can play too. Uh, but I can't get one just for myself. Hey, I, I, that's what I did. I mean, maybe <laughs> you need to like blow out your Achilles and then you'll have an excuse. This is true. This is true. I'll, I'll work well, on that. On a related but unrelated topic. So of all the things that interest me, phones is my, it, it's like, I mean, it's what I do. I work in the mobile, mobile industry. It's my day job. But I've always since college had the nerdiest level of interest in mobile phones. Like if you were a baseball nerd, phones is my nerddom. And I find the phones that people choose, and I've advised many people, super, super interesting. So I saw a tweet today, which I guess I kind of knew because we do message each other, is that you are an Android user and not an iPhone user. And that's fine. I, I use both platforms. So I have a job where I have a separate work phone, and then I have a personal phone. And I've always made sure that one was an Android phone and one was an iPhone. Being a phone nerd, I could partake in both ecosystems and know them both equally well. So 
I'm going to play impartial here. I got to be careful what I say. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be impartial here. They're both great ecosystems. However, I will say a couple of things. Number one, about probably 85% of my friends, I've kind of figured this out, carry iPhones. And, you know, in the United States, it's about 50-50. You'll hear different studies about market share, but it's just about 50-50 iPhone to Android when you look at the whole United States. But in, in these parts where we live in Texas, it's very iPhone heavy. Now, globally, it's the reverse. Globally, it, the world is Android heavy. And you'll see statistics that it's probably somewhere between 75 and 83% market share for Android globally. Now, Apple has made some inroads as the prices of the phones have come down. But, you know, it's still an Android world when you look at it percentage-wise, though Apple does make all the profits or a large majority of the profits. But I want to know, you know, you have an Android phone. Does your wife have an Android phone? No, she's loyal iPhone and will probably never change. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a predicament. So, you know, I've found out that some of the least happy couples I know are <laughs> couples that carry two different phones. <laughs> it, it causes marital strife. If you've ever tried the back and forth of like, I can't message you this or, and it's gotten better. It's gotten better over the years, but it used to be that you couldn't even do like a group text message between iPhone and Android without causing problems. So when did you switch or did you switch or have you always had an Android phone and what was your decision point there? You know, I think I switched five or six years ago, maybe a little bit more. And the biggest reason at the time was the camera quality. Uh, the Android phone, the Galaxy to be specific had a much better camera, much more dynamic, a lot, a lot more pixels. And I just really enjoyed that. And as somebody who takes a lot of pictures, takes a lot of video, uh, and, and, you know, for a long time handled the social media for a company and needed to be able to take those pictures at games, take those videos on the sidelines. I thought, that the Galaxy gave me a much better platform to do those things. Now, I still, kind of like you, but it's not my phone, I do get to experience both ecosystems because my wife has the iPhone. And it's a constant thing in our house, by the way, that you know certain things that the iPhone does better, certain things that the Galaxy does better, and that's, that's that phrase is sp spoken in our house on a regular basis. When we see that, okay, my wife will say point iPhone and I do point Android. So it just depends on, on what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's evened out a lot. And so the camera quality is an interesting thing. And I could talk about this for hours, so we'll shorten it up. But over the last few years, there was a point where a lot of people thought that Android phones had pulled ahead in the camera race. Now with the, the most current generation of iPhones, it's definitely more even than it's ever been. And, you know, you have some Google pixel diehard. So a lot of people will actually say the best camera is not on a Samsung. It's on a Google pixel. That's debatable. 
Samsung makes some incredible hardware. Um, but where Apple has always excelled is video. So the video quality, when you look at some of these independent scores who look at camera quality, will tell you that Apple always comes away with the video test. Now, Samsung in recent years has really started to catch up there, I think, on certain ends. And I'm interested to see what happens because there was a Samsung event yesterday. So for those of you who are not ultra nerdy like me, you probably don't chart out phone release events, but there was Samsung's event, which they called, which they call Unpacked, and they announced the new Note series phones, which come out every year in the fall, and some some just amazing premium phones, and you know, the price points are, I think they start at $9.99 and $12.99 for the larger one, so you know, I used to hear some jokes back in the day uh, where people would razz people, which is really unfortunate, who carry Android phones and, you know, essentially inferring that if you carried an Android phone, that must mean you have less money than somebody with an iPhone. And that's simply not the case these days. I mean, there are some very affordable Android phones, which is the one of the reasons for their market dominance globally. But, I mean, shoot, a $1,300 Galaxy Note is just as expensive as just, you know, almost any phone on the market. So there's some really premium Android phones out there, but I do think that you guys need to pick one way or the other and get your marriage straightened out. <laughs> I, I think that you need to be on one page and, you know, figure out whichever way that is. Well, I'm not switching and she's diehard. So, um, I just don't see that happening. I think we can function. I think it'll I think it'll be okay. I guess the the real question is going to be when Austin is big enough to get a phone. Ooh, tiebreaker. Which side is he going to choose? Yeah, is he going to go with mommy or daddy? And that's that's going to be a tough moment I think for either of you. You might shed a couple of tears if he, you know, follows after his mom, but Yeah. That's true. He, I think right now he likes playing with her phone better. Uh, I think just she probably is, maybe that is the psychology behind the apps that she's downloading to make him like the iPhone better. I never thought of that before. That might be true. He's recruiting him, Chris. Yeah. Brainwashing him towards the iPhone side. Oof. Okay. Well, I generally, I'm fine with that because I don't want him touching my phone because he adds events to her calendar and calls people True. that he shouldn't be calling. And I generally am fine, have been okay with it because I just don't want him messing with my phone. But yeah, she might be recruiting him. That might be true. Um, <laughs> again, I think we're going to be okay. I like my phone. I do like the portrait mode on the iPhone. I do steal that on occasion, take pictures of Austin using the portrait mode. So that is one where she has point iPhone. A little bit of inside baseball here. We actually don't have a topic set for next week yet. But as is kind of the manifesto for this podcast, it's stuff that Aaron and I find interesting, and we hope that you do too. So whatever it ends up being, we hope you tune in next week for episode nine wherever you find podcasts. And as long as you're here at the end of the episode, we'd appreciate you leaving a five-star review and sharing the 
news about this show with everybody else that you know that uh, likes to consume podcasts on a regular basis. We'll talk to you again next week.